Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. Today, we welcome back leading dietitian Sophie Medlin to share her thoughts on our culture of aesthetics versus health and how our body image can impact our mental health. As Sophie has noticed, no longer just a phenomenon in women, but increasingly in men too, and with quite dire consequences. So it's over to Sophie to explain why. Why do you think that this is an important topic? So health and aesthetics together, why do you think the two have been intrinsically linked before? And, you know, to some extent, I would argue that aesthetics can be quite logically related to health, right? You know, for context, my dad was overweight most of his life, certainly, I would say all of his life. And he ended up dying of ill health from it. And if he had focused on aesthetics, he wouldn't have let himself get fat and wouldn't have died from it. So just being the contrarian, I guess there's two sides of the coin of the argument. And I'd love us to explore both sides. Sure, sure. And I think it's important that we do because uh, there is, you know, a large body positivity movement, which lots of people will, will be aware of, which is a great thing in lots of ways. But I think in some ways it can lead into glorification of obesity. I never suggest that obesity isn't benign. Obesity causes people terrible health problems. And so we must be really careful to, to not suggest that it's fine to be very overweight because unfortunately you will suffer the ill health consequences as your father did as a result of that. But what we do need to be really clear on is that we can't all look like the beauty standard that we are suggested that we should be trying to aim for. So when we look at people like Instagrammers, when we look at fitness models, when we look at people on Love Island, for example, we're all held accountable to this level of beauty, which or, or perceived beauty, let's say, that's not attainable for most people. And it's when we set goals that are beyond the realms of possibility for ourselves that we can end up in really negative thought patterns and thought processes around this sort of thing. And to give you some context, I work in my clinical practice with some incredible people as my patients. I'm very fortunate to work with lots of very interesting people, some of whom have multiple businesses, multiple PhDs, and still obsess about the size of their waist or the size of their calves. Or you know, I work with men, for example, who, although are incredibly successful and have families who love them and are successful socially and in their work life, they are still obsessed with getting their body fat percentage down to something that is generally uh, unsustainable for most men. And that can really take over our lives in a way that's really negative. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. I'd say that in January, for example, people often say they set themselves targets, right? Like I would like a six pack by the summer, or I want my X sized waist by X date. Do you think that's a good way to frame your goals? Um, because, you know, again, being difficult about this, you know, at least if you do something like that, at least if you try and set that kind of target for yourself as something quite ambitious, at least you'll get some of the way there in theory, right? 
Sure. So goal setting is definitely very helpful and it can help us to focus in on what we want to do and what we want to achieve. But if we focus our goals on something that's purely aesthetic based, we can sacrifice so many other things in our life in pursuit of that one thing. So, for example, you might say, I want to lose X amount of weight and I'm going to do it through fasting. But if the pattern of fasting that you've chosen means that you're no longer having dinner with your family or socially eating, or the exercise regime that you've chosen for yourself means that you have to get up at five o'clock every day and you're sacrificing your sleep and you're struggling and you're not feeling well, or you're fasting in the morning and you can't concentrate at work, or what you're eating is disgusting and you don't enjoy it and it's not nice anymore. You know, you're eating fish that you cooked on Sunday on a Thursday because of your meal prepping pattern. Those kinds of things, that's the sort of diet culture way of doing things that really uh, it has a negative impact on our wider health. And that's where if we actually reframe those goals to say, okay, how do I want to feel versus what do I want to look like? We're in a much nicer space there to make better choices. One of the things that the whole kind of aesthetics narrative pushes us away from is trusting ourselves to make decisions. And actually, if we're trying to follow someone else's meal plan or someone else's exercise plan, we lose sight of what our body actually needs on that day. What are some of the more common mental health consequences of obsessing over your body image? One of the things that we see and has been going on for a long time with women is disordered eating. So I'm not talking about people developing full-blown eating disorders. I'm talking about the borderline cases who come to see me in clinic who just can't stop. There's so much of their brain energy is taken up thinking and obsessing about what their body looks like or what they are or aren't going to eat that week. And I think women over the years have been taught to uh, value their aesthetics above almost anything else in their lives. And that feeling is definitely coming into the male psyche now as well. And I think that that's really, really unfortunate because we've learned so many lessons as women and, and we've really thrown out that narrative. And we still see it, but we're definitely rebelling against it but we're really allowing our male counterparts just to absorb all of this toxic messaging. And one of the things that we see more commonly now is called muscularity-oriented disordered eating. And that's the disordered eating behaviours that perhaps you don't consider to be negative. So things like heavy reliance on protein shakes and potentially a lot of anxiety if you haven't got access to them. This meal prepping where you never eat any kind of dietary variety because you're constantly eating the same things. Anxiety about not knowing how many macros are in your food and what that looks like. So not being able to eat out comfortably or in a relaxed way because you're worrying and obsessed about what's going into your food. And also tracking. So I think one of the things that's really important to mention is that calorie tracking and macro tracking obsessively for years or months even isn't a healthy thing to, to aim towards. And yet those are all behaviours that we see constantly recommended and suggested by personal trainers, fitspo people, all these people online who are recommending these kinds of behaviours to men. They're actually disordered behaviours. They're not healthy. And when we move into that, we again learn to not trust our bodies. We don't trust our appetites. We don't listen and trust that our bodies are in control of these things. And that's where we can get into really negative spaces. So the real question here is, uh, do we think it's actually dangerous for your health to have the aesthetic beauty of a typical Instagram model, whether you're male or female? And I guess, you know, based on those male and female people in the audience, say, if you can address each one independently with your points of view, that'd be super helpful. 
Yeah, thanks, Dan. I think it's so important that we address this. So I'm not always great at doing with these kinds of conversations is acknowledging that there are lots of people who don't identify as either male or female. So for the purposes of this conversation, I'm talking about bodies that are testosterone dominant and bodies that are estrogen dominant. And perhaps when I'm talking about women, I'm also talking about people who have menstrual cycles who don't necessarily identify as women. When we talk about women who identify as women on Instagram who have a very low body fat percentage, there are many, many dangers of having a very low body fat percentage for women. So uh, we know that women who have been athletes and had a very low body fat percentage for a long time, very high risk of fractures very early in life. So early onset osteoporosis. And that's a consequence of how your low body fat percentage impacts your estrogen production and suppresses your estrogen production, pushing you into sort of a post-menopausal state much earlier. So most women will develop a visible six pack at a body fat percentage of about 15, let's say to 14 or 15. And for a woman to have a regular and healthy menstrual cycle, she needs a, a body fat percentage of at least 18, between 18 and 21. And so ultimately what you're aiming for there is something that's not gonna facilitate fertility, it's not gonna facilitate good health, it could be driving women into osteoporosis, but I think when we see these very, very low body fat percentage Instagram models, we are looking at someone who is not necessarily healthy. One of the things that we often see now is that women may have swapped their eating disorder, so they may have swapped anorexia for exercise addiction. So whilst they may look a better shape, they are certainly exercising far too much. And I've noticed there's a theme now of these women saying that they've got polycystic ovarian syndrome to justify why their periods are irregular. And actually their periods are irregular because they're over-exercising. And that's apparent to any good healthcare professional who sees what they're doing and, and sees their what we call performative exercise on Instagram, for example. And so we really need to be conscious that that's aesthetic that is uh, forced upon us, that aesthetic that we are all told we should be aiming for. When we look at men, again, the condition that we're talking about here is called REDS, Relative Energy Deficit Disorder in Sport. Unfortunately, the, the level of exercise that people are doing in this performative way on Instagram now and the body fat percentages that they're aiming for is pushing them into this actual syndrome, this condition. And for men, relative energy deficit disorders leads to uh, things like infertility again, so suppression of testosterone. So most men who have a very low body fat percentage won't be interested in sex at all. They will have a very low sex drive. And that's a normal thing. You know, your body is thinking that you're in starvation mode. So your body thinks, I can't procreate now. And so I need to suppress these things so that we can go and get food. I think with the male physiques as well that people are aiming for, one of the things that I notice as a healthcare professional is that a lot of the men who have these physiques on Instagram have other telltale signs of using testosterone, injected testosterone or other male hormones, as well as steroids in order to support their physique. And we can see that in things like the muscular definition in their necks in the way that their abdomen protrudes sometimes, often it can lead to things like acne. And so those things are visible to me, but I'm conscious that they may not be visible to younger and perhaps more impressionable people. And we're not talking about this. No one's calling these people out. There's lots of people who are pretending to be the healthiest versions of themselves when actually they may be using recreational drugs in order to, to maintain the physique that they have. I mean, really, like, I guess what we're talking about here, not to dance around the topic, is the rise of Instagram. 
it's had a huge impact for sure. I don't think any dietitian would pretend that it hasn't. I think it's really interesting to have a conversation around how this space has been allowed to form. And one of the things that we have to recognize as healthcare professionals is that when Instagram kind of started, we just weren't there. We weren't part of that conversation. We weren't ready for it. Before Instagram, if you tried to convince people to eat an avocado, you would have had no chance. Dietitians have been trying to make people eat avocados for years. No chance. Instagram comes along, avocados all the rage. Kale is the best example of that. It's, dietitians have been saying forever people should be eating kale. Couldn't get anyone to eat kale. Get it on Instagram, suddenly everyone's eating kale and believes it's the healthiest thing in the whole wide world. I really wish I was wearing my kale t-shirt right now just for emphasis, but never mind. I've got an avocado in the background. <laughs> so I think that we have to recognize that we just weren't there. And so people who took up that space and who really uh, showcased nutrition in the early days of Instagram were people with no nutrition qualifications, but strong opinion, strong aesthetic, the ability to build a following. So we just didn't step up. We weren't there. Public Health England weren't there. We didn't know this was going to happen. And what we also weren't expecting to happen was for it to become essentially a public health platform. And we know now that most uh, teenagers, for example, people of university age especially, go to Instagram for their health information. And we also know that 90% of the nutrition information on Instagram is false. So there's lots of interesting things that have happened in that space and in that time that we as healthcare professionals just weren't prepared for. And I think actually we can learn so much from influencers as healthcare professionals on how to steer these conversations. Like Public Health England and the Department of Health need to get these really strong influencer people in to give them advice on how to get public health messaging out there. I mean, if they were using influencers around vaccines and whatever else at the moment, maybe there would be better uptake. Basically, what you're saying is it's your fault for spending all your time learning, you know, the science of medicine and dietitian and, and, and nutrition instead of learning social media. So to summarize, what would you say are your top three takeaways that you want listeners to understand on mental health and aesthetics? The main thing to think about is to focus your goals on wider health benefits. So things like good sleep, uh, less anxiety, rather than just what you look like and what you want to look like. I think that's so important and we can really benefit hugely from that. If everyone did that, we'd be in a much, much nicer space and everyone would be a lot happier. I think try to remember that the people that you're trying to emulate in terms of your aesthetics probably don't look like that themselves certainly not all year round. So particular, I think for men, that focus of be, having this six pack and having this huge rippling muscly body all year round, that's not actually what they look like. That is usually a temporary state. Otherwise they might've won the genetic lottery and that is what they look like all year round, but ultimately it's very unlikely. And importantly, I think for both men and women, very often the, the goals that you're working towards and the people who have those bodies may not be physically healthy. So they may have the aesthetic that you are aiming for, but they may not be physically healthy. They may have not have their periods if they're a woman. They may not have any kind of sex drive if they're a man. But also, they're certainly not going to be mentally healthy if they are maintaining that all year round and obsessing about their food and taking all of that mental energy that could be used for incredible things and putting it into obsessing about what you look like and what you're eating. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. 
Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how well you're feeding your brain, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain food to get your free score from one to 100 and start taking action from there. See you next week. Thank you.